The Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book One, Plan B Revised. Chapter Eight, Roadblocks. Martin leapt into the gap in traffic between the little gray Chevy and the generic SUV. He had Susan by the wrist with his left hand and the roller bag handle in his right. The Chevy driver looked horrified, but otherwise did nothing. No swerving, no honking, no braking. She drove straight at them. Martin saw that a gap in the far lane had developed between a black Accord and a RAV4. It wasn't large, but it would align with their path if they kept running. There was no time to swallow hard or hesitate. As he ran, he pulled Susan up beside him, intending to slingshot her ahead of him in case he misjudged the gaps. He might get hit, but she would be clear or would get hit by him instead of a car. He fixed his eyes on the RAV4's headlight and ran. Susan had regained her footing and her stride. She did surge beside him. They both made it to the other side. The roller bag, however, was not so lucky. The corner of the RAV4's bumper clipped the end of the roller bag, spinning it around and twisting Martin with it. He made a full turn and lost his footing. He went down on his left side and skidded up to the curb. The RAV4 driver honked long and loud, but didn't break. It was a good thing he didn't slow down. People were tailgating each other so closely that a sudden stop from any one of them would have caused a massive pileup. Oh my God, Martin! Susan ran to where Martin lay. He lay still, in a daze for a few seconds, going through a personal reboot. He looked around to see where that voice was coming from. He raised himself up on one elbow, which hurt. Another loud honk from the far side of the street caught his attention. The honk was followed by a sickening sound, part thud, part moan, like someone hitting the ground after falling off a roof. Screams the screech of tires, more honking, more screaming. Martin couldn't see anything beyond the steady stream of tires and bumpers in the lane near him. He became aware again of Susan's voice. She stared across the street, her hand over her mouth. Oh, my God, one of those guys. It just got hit. Oh, that sounded awful. She turned back to Martin. Oh, no, you got hit, too. Oh, my God, what do I do? It's okay, it's okay. I don't think I'm hurt too bad, said Martin. He rolled onto all fours and then rocked back to be sitting down. A quick mental assessment suggested no broken bones. He saw no bleeding. His jacket sleeve was ripped open from the left shoulder down to the elbow. The shirt was, too. He had a bad case of road rash on his upper arm, but it wasn't bleeding much. Susan gasped when she saw his arm. Oh, your arm! Oh, this is terrible! Martin slowly got up on one knee. I think we need to get uh, out of here before those people try to come after us again. I, I don't think you're supposed to be standing up. I, I think you should maybe lie down, uh, tip your head back uh, or something. She began looking around as if she expected to see paramedics that she could call over to the scene. There were no paramedics. A few people that were on the sidewalk were fixated on the scene across the street. I'm okay, Martin said. <clears throat> a little beat up, but nothing serious. Are you sure? Are you sure you should get up? No, I'm not sure, but I'm getting up anyway. She helped him to stand. Oh, look at your arm. Oh, dear. 
Yep, I got a nasty rash. Let's get over behind those cars for now, okay? Martin took some hobbling steps across the sidewalk. His knee hurt. The palm of his hand had some serious abrasions, too. Uh, where's, where's my bag? he asked. Uh, it's still on your back? she said with a worried look, as if suspecting that he might have brain damage, too. Ah, oh, oh, so it is. <laughs> well, let's go up there against that wall. He pointed to a section of wall between some overhead doors of a tire shop. He leaned his back against the wall. With his good hand, he fished out his first aid kit. He tore open an alcohol wipe with his teeth and rubbed it across his palm. He winced at the sting. You, where's your roller bag? He asked. What? Who, who cares? You're hurt. I, I need to help. I think I'll be okay, just in a few minutes. But seriously, what, what happened to your bag? That's everything you have. I had a hold of it when we ran through, but I lost it. Susan looked up and around. Oh, oh, there it is, over by that curb. Uh, your walking stick is still out on the median. While I dab at my hand, why don't you go get your roller bag and see how bad it is? She looked from him to the bag and then ran over to pick it up. The duffel and canvas bag were knocked loose. One of the wheels had been knocked loose, too. But other than that, the roller bag itself seemed to have only suffered some scuffs and dirt. We need to put some distance between us and those people over there, Martin said. I'll try to clean up a bit when we're clear. The scene across the street spoke of injuries worse than Martin endured. Orange Shoes was still lying face down in the street. His friends were ringed around him. Big Hair was shouting and flailing her arms. Do-Rag knelt beside him, dabbing at his head. For the time being, the pack had forgotten all about Martin and Susan. Martin limped for a while. His knee felt stiff. Yeah, let's get around the corner of the store. We should be far enough from those apartments to, to be out of sight. Martin wanted to pour some water on his upper arm, but his abraded right hand trembled and would not close enough to hold the jug. Here, maybe you better do this, he said. M me? Yeah. Could you pour a little water on my scrape? Need to get the dirt off. I can't hold this jug worth beans. Then if you could use one of those little alcohol wipes, too. Need to clean out the scratches so it doesn't get infected. Who knows what's been on these streets, eh? What if they had like a circus parade yesterday with elephants and swept all of that poop up to the curb? Oh, don't choke at a time like this. You're hurt. Susan took the wipe and dabbed ineffectually at the edges of the scratches. No, don't worry, Martin reassured her. Just, just wipe along in the same direction of the scratches. It'll be okay. She did as he asked, but the alcohol stung worse than he expected. He flinched and grimaced. Oh, oh sorry. I'm hurting you. Sorry. I, d I don't know how to do this nurse stuff. No, you're doing fine. It's the alcohol, uh, not you. She reluctantly dabbed and wiped some more. Okay, okay, now rub some of that ointment on and, and rub it into the scratches. She frowned the whole while. His right hand was trembling less, so he was able to assist. He rubbed some of the ointment into his palm scrape, too. Shouldn't we put a big bandage over your arm? Oh, it looks awful. I don't have anything big enough for that. I'll just have to leave it covered with my clean shirt, I guess. I think it'll be okay just getting some air. Well, what are they doing over there? Susan peeked around the corner. Two of them were still with the guy on the street. The others were running back to the apartment building. Martin fished in his backpack with his left hand and tugged out his old flannel shirt. He pulled off his jacket with some difficulty, 
as his left arm didn't want to flex much. He started to unbutton his torn shirt, then noticed that Susan was watching. Um, could you turn around? Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. She blushed and quickly turned away. I'll let you be all shy about your feet if you'll let me be all shy about my unimpressive physique, okay? I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. That's okay. That's okay. I'm mostly kidding. Trying to pull on the shirt with one hand and a claw was awkward, but he managed. Buttons with one hand were a challenge, too, but he also managed that. Okay, I'm decent again. Now, what's going on across the street? Susan peeked around the corner of the building again. They're, they're still standing around the guy on the road. I think I saw him move. Why aren't these other drivers stopping to help? Where's everyone going in such a hurry? Yeah, beats me. But I want us to get moving, too, before that group starts looking around for us again. They could be really angry at us. Why? We didn't do anything to them. They were trying to get us, she protested. Won't matter to them. These days, society teaches people that they're all victims of something. Injuries demand vengeance. I'm sure they won't see themselves as responsible for anything. It'll be all our fault somehow. Martin pointed to her roller bag. Looks like we need to tie up your loose bundles again. But I'm afraid you'll have to do most of it. I think I can salvage my jacket, uh, for the most part. Maybe a bit of duct tape, but this shirt is toast. Susan stuffed stray socks and pant legs back into the duffel and tugged on the cord to tie a few new knots. Martin pulled off a strip of duct tape to secure the torn jacket sleeve to the shoulder. Putting on the jacket was as awkward as the shirt had been, but his arm was feeling a little less stiff. Oh, well, there we go. Looks like I've got a unit patch now, doesn't it? <laughs> duct tape brigade, he smiled. She was not amused. He shrugged. Apparently he was as good at humor as he was at reassurance. <clears throat> yeah, well, how about you uh, help me stick this square bandage on my hand? Then give me a hand tying my old shirt sleeve around it. It'll look a little hobo, but it'll help keep the bandage on. Once they had their things in order, Martin peeked around the corner of the store. The apartment gang were still gathered around the young man who was now leaning up on one elbow. Cars continued to stream by quickly. They're still occupied with that guy who got hit. He's conscious, at least. Let's go back around the hedge and come out a bit farther up the street. I snap back in that loose wheel from your roller bag. We'll have to keep an eye on it. It's in bad shape. Around the hedge, they emerged into the parking lot of a CVS pharmacy. Like the Walgreens before it, the parking lot was full of cars and people. Some stood upon the parking lot's retaining wall so that they could look across the street at the injured man. Most had their attention focused on the line to the door. Martin steered between the groups, trying to keep low, without looking too obvious. He tried not to limp as much as he could in order to not attract any attention. The parking lot sat lower than the street, so they would be harder to see if the apartment gang started looking for them. Martin tried to stay mingled among the parked cars, more difficult to see. I wonder if that guy will be all right, Susan said. Feeling battered and sore from trying to escape the apartment predators didn't encourage sympathy within Martin. The whole group of them seemed intent to take whatever they wanted from him and Susan. The fact that they had been waiting for a target of opportunity to walk near them contradicted the hungry kid story. What mother of hungry children strikes poses waiting for food to come to her? As for the young man lying in the street, he chose to dodge into traffic and chase them. 
Martin felt very little compassion for the man. In his mind, he paraphrased a Bible verse. Those who expect to gain by violence can expect to die by violence. They had no business chasing us, was Martin's condensed thought. Oh, I know, but still, I don't think they would have shown us any sympathy if they'd have caught us. I'm just glad we got away. Martin was not in the mood for conversation about would-be muggers. As they cleared the big strip mall's parking lot, the damaged wheel on Susan's roller bag popped out. Oops, uh, hold on, I got it, Martin said as he hobbled after the little wheel. Hey, got it, but now my hand bandage is coming loose. Need to tighten it up, see if we can fix this wheel again. How about in the shade back there, by, by those dumpsters? Susan pointed at the back of the store's shallow parking lot. We should be pretty much out of easy sight back there. Martin tried to sit on the pavement beside the stockade fence, but his sore knees didn't want to bend. Sitting down looked more like a ship capsizing. Susan pulled his hand up for a closer look. Hmm, give me your bag, she said. The gauze is okay, but that strip of shirt will have to be redone. Maybe some tape to hold it better. While Susan rewound the bandage, Martin stared at the junk people had left around the dumpster stockade. A CRT television, a bent folding chair, a very tired-looking air conditioner. Hmm. This must be the local's equivalent of the Cheshire Transfer Station, he thought. Then something caught his eye. It looked like a baby buggy wheel sticking up between two crushed cardboard boxes. Hold still, Susan scolded. I'm almost finished. Sorry, Martin said. I want to go check out that junk over there. Standing up looked more like a barn raising, with him as one of the walls of the barn. When he pulled on the spoked rubber wheel, a tangle of chrome wires came with it, and a matching wheel. What was that? Susan's tone was appropriate for roadkill. I think it used to be one of those little two-wheel carts that old ladies used to carry home their groceries. It looks like someone ran over it. Yeah, that it does. Yeah, but look at the wheels. They're okay. The axle is kind of bent, but are you thinking of putting those wheels on my roller bag? I am. Here, hold this. We need to break off these mangled wires. Martin bent the wires until the tack welds broke. The remainder looked like a battered cookie cooling rack, uh, but with wheels. Now let's uh, push the axle against um, that post over there and see if we can get it straight enough. The axle bent, as metals often do, anywhere but where you want them to. The result was a mild zigzag, but the two wheels were roughly parallel. Martin capsized down onto the pavement again and started lashing the little wire rack to the bottom of her roller bag. The broken welds made workable stops for paracord knots. There you go, Martin beamed. You've got wheels again, and more off-road than the little plastic ones. Here, try it out. Susan walked a few paces, pulling her bag. Hey, this is better than before. Well, cool. This will be easier on both of us. Let's get going. After a few blocks of walking, Martin noticed his stiff knee was loosening up. He also noticed the sound of honking and revving engines grew louder as they approached the intersection of North Street and Route 28. The traffic lights were out, of course, so all the drivers were fending for themselves. The steady northbound flow of 28 backed up against the muddle at the intersection. Most drivers ended up turning east or west. No one was getting any farther north. No policeman had been dispatched to direct traffic. It was a wonder that anyone actually made it through the intersection. 
North Street was normally a two-lane road, but people were making it an impromptu four-lane road with an occasional fifth lane on the sidewalk or in the grass. Fender scrapes and bumper taps were common, but no one was getting out to swap insurance information. One driver, in a line of cars on North Street, made a sudden lunge for an open space, then changed his mind and hit the brakes. The man behind him surged to follow, but smacked into the rear of the first car. The second car didn't fare as well. The plastic grill was mangled. Green coolant poured out onto the street. His engine wouldn't restart. A heated argument flared up between the stall driver and those stuck behind him. This might be a good time for us to cross the road, said Martin. He and Susan threaded through the stalled, outer eastbound lane, then through the slower inner line of cars. The westbound lanes were sporadic enough that gaps appeared, pretty much as needed. The drivers blocked behind the damaged car gathered around the disabled vehicle to push it out of the way. At first, the driver thanked them for their help, but the group went beyond getting the stalled car out of the lane. They gave his car an extra push so it rolled into the brick wall of a corner bakery then hit with a dull crunch. They cheered as if they had scored a goal. The driver of the damaged car flailed his arms and shouted. Martin couldn't make out what he was shouting other than, Are you all crazy? The other drivers pointed at him and laughed as they got back into their cars and resumed creeping up to the intersection. Martin and Susan walked north on the far side of 28, along the sidewalk of the southbound lanes. Kind of strange, Susan commented. So much traffic trying to go north, but nothing coming south. The northbound lanes were full of motionless cars, lined up in three long lines. A state police cruiser was parked across both lanes, lights flashing. The trooper waved his arms impatiently at the drivers lined up in front of him. He wanted everyone to turn around. No one seemed to understand, or intended to turn back. Some drivers were out of their cars shouting at him. Others honked. A few near the back tried to back up or make three-point turns in too little space and go back to the intersection. Martin got out his little binoculars. Hmm, there's another state cruiser on the other side of the interchange, blocking the southbound lane, too. Wonder what's up? I don't know, but it sure is causing a mess, said Susan. Good thing we're walking. As they approached the off-ramp from 128, a different state trooper stopped his chore of placing orange cones across the off-ramp. He stepped in front of them with his arms outstretched, as if he were shooing away chickens. "'No access here, people! Go back! Go back!' said the trooper. Uh, "'We just want to walk through,' said Martin. "'Do you two live in Reading, Middleton, or Andover?' the trooper asked. "'Uh, no, but we just want to—' "'Then it doesn't matter,' interrupted the trooper. "'Only residents are allowed in.' You, you gotta turn around, you gotta go back to wherever you stayed last night. What, the woods? Why can't we walk through here? We're just trying to... Only residents. Nobody else is allowed in here. Now, go back. The trooper sounded impatient and resumed his chicken-herding gestures. Why can't we walk through? Martin insisted. Look, Jack, you just can't. This area is closed. Nobody else is allowed through. Now, go back. Do as I tell you. The trooper took what Martin perceived to be an alpha-dog gesture with a menacing step forward. Martin did not oblige with the lesser-dog response, but stared hard at the scowling trooper. Susan must have seen him change his footing and draw in a deep breath. She pulled at his arm. Never mind, Martin. Let's go back, like he says. Martin could feel his heart rate rising and his face feeling hot. 
He knew it was a fool's errand to argue with the bull-shaped trooper with a gun. But after his injuries, he was in no mood for authority figures being vague about throwing their weight around. He didn't want to give that bull the satisfaction of seeing him comply with arbitrary tyranny. Come on, Martin, she insisted. Please? Martin broke off his stare at the trooper. Why did her eyes have to be so big? Big eyes were an unfair tool, Martin grumbled. He turned and stomped limped off down the sidewalk. The trooper turned and strutted back toward his car beyond the overpass. Where do they get the idea they can just close a public road to everyone? Martin ranted to himself. We'll just have to find some other way through without violating his precious stinking forbidden zone. That's right, she tried to sound upbeat. We'll find another way through. As they walked back past the northbound roadblock, they could see the first trooper telling everyone that the roads were closed to allow emergency vehicles to get through. A woman stepped out of the crowd, pleading loudly at the trooper. She wailed with anguish, not anger, complete with flailing arms as if she were on fire. The trooper was yelling back at her to get back, but she kept coming closer. Others in the crowd were inching forward, too, in her wake. The trooper shouted at them all to keep back. They kept advancing slowly. He drew his sidearm and held it high. The crowd shrank back with a few screams. The hysterical woman alone kept coming toward him. She's speaking Spanish, Susan said. I don't think he understands her. She's saying something about her babies. Oh, you speak Spanish? Oh, a little. I don't think that woman understands him either. This is going bad fast. Without thinking enough, Martin rushed across the road to the median. He dropped the handle of the roller bag so he could have both hands wide open and held high as he straddled over the guardrail. As he entered the trooper's field of view, the trooper pointed his pistol at Martin. There was something in the trooper's eyes that looked more frightened than menacing. Martin was worried, but felt strangely calm. Certainly the trooper must see that the frantic little Hispanic woman was no threat. Martin thought he might be afraid he was on the brink of losing control of the crowd. If the lady could get too close, so might the rest of them. Hey, uh, easy now, Martin half-shouted. Don't, don't shoot. <laughs> Take it easy. I have no weapons, see? The trooper was young and looked like he had played football in high school. His eyes were wide. This was fear, not rage. She, she doesn't understand what you're saying, Martin said. She's no threat. Martin said it as soothingly as one might with a glock aimed at their head. Back off, all of you, just back off. The Hispanic lady did not back off, but continued to advance slowly on the trooper, pleading her unintelligible case. She continued to wail in a torrent of Spanish. The trooper put his sights back on her. The bull trooper was jogging awkwardly down the road toward the scene. Susan came up behind Martin. She's worried about her babies, she called out to the trooper. I don't care. She has to back off or I'm going to drop her. His last few words didn't sound like a threat, but more like the woman was dangling over a cliff and slipping out of his grasp. Martin looked back over his shoulder to Susan. Can you tell her to back off? Uh, I think so. Susan kept her hands in the air as much as climbing over a guardrail allowed. She came up behind the wailing woman, gently pulling her arms down, and began talking to her. Martin couldn't hear what they were saying, but it wouldn't have mattered, since he knew virtually no Spanish. Susan turned the woman slowly away from the trooper. He still looked upset, but visibly relieved. 
He held his gun at low ready, which made Martin blow out a sigh of relief. The bull trooper arrived, panting, sidearm drawn, but too late to be of any help. Those of the crowd that had not scurried for cover behind the cars looked on in silence. The woman repeatedly turned toward the trooper and raised her voice, but Susan kept turning her back, talking soothingly and walking her away. Martin backed along behind them, keeping himself between the woman and the nervous trooper. "'No one passes this point!' the young trooper shouted, regaining his in-charge voice. "'All you people, just turn around and return to wherever you were last night. No one is allowed through here!' The crowd was regaining its nerve. A few resumed hurling questions at the trooper. The fact that he had not reholstered his Glock, and that there were now two troopers, kept the questions less assertive than before. As they walked back between the cars, Martin began to breathe a little easier. His heart still raced, his legs still felt weak, even though the danger of the moment was past. What's with me and rescuing strange women? Martin wondered. Do I have, like, compulsive rescue disorder or something? <laughs> CRD is going to get me killed one of these times. His mind still tried to make sense of the situation. Maybe closing the interstates to civilian traffic was necessary so emergency vehicles could get around. The clog on 93 proved just how quickly the masses could shut down a major highway. But why would foot traffic not be allowed to pass? The first trooper asked where they lived. What did residency have to do with anything? That made no sense to him either. The woman's ranting grew loud enough to break through Martin's train of thought. What does she keep yammering about? She's talking too fast. Ah, I can't make out much. I got that her name is Isabel. She's trying to get home to, to Lawrence, I think. Oh, si, Lorenze. Uh, where's her car? Martin asked. We should get her back to her car and get her calmed down. Susan asked. The woman pointed to an old red Civic back in the line of cars. The driver's door was still open. She also burst into a rapid-fire string of words, flailing her arms in the direction of the trooper. Habla lentamente, por favor, said Susan. Lentamente. The woman took some deep breaths, then repeated her volley, only slightly slower. She said she's been trying to get home all morning, Susan relayed. She says there are no roads. No roads? What does that mean? I'm not sure, said Susan. She held the Civic's door and urged Isabel to sit and rest. Susan asked her more questions. Isabel picked up her GPS, tapping on it and pointing. All the while, a river of words flowed. She showed Susan the screen a few times, getting more agitated with each display. Susan tried to calm her down. She means that all the roads were blocked, like, like this one. With state troopers? It's hard to tell. Policemen of some kind, I think, I guess. When the power went out, she went down to check on her mother in Malden. She left her two boys with her sister back up in Lawrence. Si, si, me bibis, con mi hermana in Lorenze. Martin could only offer a half-smile apology. He had no idea what she said. He gestured for the GPS. Isabel pointed out the roads that she had tried, all the while babbling something. From the screens and her pointing, however, he understood that anything that crossed 93, 128, or Route 1 was blocked. Is that why everyone was driving so fast? Martin wondered. Everyone's hurrying to find a way past the roadblocks? But why the roadblocks? Was the emergency vehicle story just a smokescreen? They had not seen or heard any emergency vehicles. There hadn't been much for sirens all morning. 
Was the goal simply to keep people from moving around? Why do that? As Isabel was pointing out her failed routes, Martin's eye was caught by an apparent dead-end road near 128. It didn't look right. He dug out his paper map for comparison. On his map, the road was an overpass over 128, and not a dead end. He had drawn one of his faint red pencil lines along that street when he made his maps a couple of years ago. He couldn't read the GPS's Spanish text and labels, but navigated by icons and guesswork. My map says that this road crosses 128, Martin said, but her GPS doesn't, so it would never plan a route that way. Do you think the roads do connect? Maybe. I've never driven on it, so I'm not positive. It's worth a try. Maybe we can help Isabel, and she can help us at the same time. Ask her if she'll give us a ride up to Lawrence if we help her get there. Susan translated in fits and starts as her mind scrounged for appropriate words. Isabel nodded enthusiastically with many C-C-C bursts in Susan's pauses. Isabel fired up the Civic. Susan got in the passenger seat. Martin climbed into the back with the roller bag. He slid in among scattered plastic zoo animals and toy cars. Martin held the GPS between the front seats. We need to get back to the intersection and then go east on North Street. Susan translated. Isabel executed a hasty three-point turn, tapping a couple of other car bumpers in the process. Their drivers yelled at her, but she ignored them. Tell her to go around behind this restaurant, Martin said. The back of the parking lot connects up with North Street. Isabel powered her little red Honda through gaps between cars that Martin wasn't sure there was enough room to fit through. He and the toys were getting tossed from side to side with the sudden maneuvers. Whoa! Ow! Ow! I don't know if she's a great driver or a crazy driver, Martin said, bracing himself on the doorpost. A little bit of both, Susan said, one hand on the dash, the other around the headrest. She's very worried that she won't get home to her kids. It's kind of making her crazy. <laughs> I noticed. As they came up to North Street, a solid line of westbound cars wouldn't let Isabel make a left turn, despite her frantic honking, flailing arms, and torrent of Spanish out the window. No one is going to let us in, said Susan. I wonder about this brick office building on the left, said Martin. It has a parking lot in the back, see? Maybe there's an exit on the other side. Isabel either understood more English than she spoke, or must have figured out what Martin was saying from his gestures. She gunned the engine and threaded her Honda between the cedar fence and a telephone pole. They bumped down off of a tall curb. She cranked a hard left turn, bouncing off the far curb at the driveway in the process. Martin was tossed around onto the roller bag. Oh, oof! Uh, I guess we'll find out. The parking lot did loop back to North Street but the westbound lane was no more cooperative than before. Having already embraced alternative routes, Isabel bumped up onto the sidewalk to create her own lane. A fire hydrant, some pedestrians, and a parked car were some of the challenges Isabel encountered. She usually found green lanes to get around them. It's just as well that Isabel keeps finding ways to keep going on this side, Martin noted. The way traffic is on North Street, I doubt we could ever get back across. We'd have to make another left turn. She keeps asking if this is the right way to Lawrence, Susan said. I keep telling her yes, but are we going the right way? We are, right? Yes, Martin studied the GPS and his paper map. Tell her our road is coming up soon on the left. Uh, pretty soon she should turn left. 
Several cars were peeling off of North Street's westbound traffic to take the narrow, suburban side street. Gaps between the cars were now car length or better. Isabel managed to get into line with only a little bit of tire squeal. Few cars were coming from the opposite way. Compared to the vigorous off-road experience of getting there, on-road driving, on-roading on the winding suburban street felt as smooth as glass. The line of cars moved along at a jogger's pace, but then it began to slow. Ha! The road does connect, Martin pointed. See, there's a bridge up ahead. He stared closely at the GPS. <laughs> Check this out. Her GPS thinks we're off-roading now, or, or flying. Why is everyone going so slow here? Susan asked. As they inched across the bridge, Martin could see below them that 128 was empty, except for a dozen or so abandoned cars scattered randomly across the six lanes. It had a ghost town feel to it. Near the end of the bridge, the line of cars had slowed and snaked to the right. A very young policeman was trying to set up a second blue sawhorse with Redding P.D. stenciled on it. He was trying to erect a simple barricade in the middle of the road, but the line of cars was not giving him enough room. He got the fallen sawhorse up and stood behind it with his arm outstretched in a halt gesture. Thanks for listening. You can check out all of the books of the Siege of New Hampshire series at mickroland.com. That's M-I-C-R-O-L-A-N-D dot com. Thanks again.